So for the next two weeks, we're going to look at fasting and prayer. We're going to start, we're going to look at what do we mean by fasting and prayer? What do those things mean? We define them. What does the Bible say about them? And then we're going to look at why we should fast and pray. I mean, does it, does it make a difference? Questions like that. Why should we do it? And then finally, we're going to look at how do we fast and pray? What are their ways that we can do that? So we're going to learn together. Amen? We have a lot of pictures of Jesus, don't we? There's a lot of portraits, statues, a lot of representations of Jesus, right? You've seen, you know, you've seen pictures of Jesus everywhere, statues of Jesus. I remember staying years ago at my wife's, my wife's grandfather. He was away. I was house-sitting, and he lived in this, in this trailer, little two-bedroom trailer. And in every single room, there was like four pictures of Jesus. I'm not even counting statues, like, and, and on every wall in every room, there was the Jesus with the eyes that follows you everywhere. You know what I mean? She's looking at me. Right? There's the Jesus holding the lamb, then Jesus on the cross. In my office downstairs, I have a, a statue of Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Right? We have these images, these reminders of Jesus, these, these portraits, these representations and, and in that, usually you don't see this image I'm going to talk about. This is, I haven't seen a statue, I haven't seen a picture of this event. But it's in the Bible, and, and it actually repeats itself. It's found in, in Matthew 21, verse 12. And it's an image we don't often think about. And it says this, Jesus entered the temple courts, and he drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. So just, just to set the picture, because sometimes we think like Jesus is like kind of like a really nice hippie, right? Like, hey guys, this isn't good. We shouldn't be doing this, stuff, right? No, he was flipping tables over. It says he was driving them out, which was like, no, 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 you're out, get out of here. It wasn't like, all right, guys, let's talk about, let's regroup here. No, he drove them out. Second time it happened, this was three years later. The first time it happened is in John 2, Jesus' first visit to the temple after his uh, miracle at the wedding in Cana. And that, it says he had whips. I mean, that's even more aggressive, right? Now we're not flipping tables over, now we're whipping stuff. Was upset, was angry. It almost seemed like he was out of control. Yeah, there's got to be a reason for that. It seems so out of character, doesn't it? And so he'd say, well, why? What got him that upset? This is the, the beginning of, it, of his ministry is the first time it happened in John 2, and he, clean, he cleans the temple. And then the second temple that I just read about in Matthew, it's in all the synoptic gospels, the second cleaning, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We can say Jesus came back to his second visit to the church, and he wasn't happy. Again. Now, it's interesting to note that it wasn't like these people shouldn't have been there. They were supposed to be there. They were the money changers. It was necessary to make a sacrifice of an animal. You couldn't, people traveled from far. You couldn't just bring an animal with you, so you had to buy animals there. And then there was an exchange. You had to exchange a Roman coin for the Jerusalem coin. And so it was a necessary function of the temple. So they weren't 
in the wrong place and they weren't doing the wrong thing. The problem was their hearts. The problem was they were only thinking of themselves. They were greedy. You have people who belonged where they were and they belonged doing what they were doing. They were in the right place and they were doing the right thing but in the wrong way with the wrong spirit and with the wrong heart. See, it had just become something they do, a habit, a tradition, a routine, a job, just something else they do. The spirit of it, the purpose of it, the meaning behind it was entirely lost. And so what about us? And when I say us, I start with me first. What about me? When we're serving the Lord, when I'm serving the Lord, do I have the right spirit? Or are we in the temple without the spirit of the temple? See, prayer and fasting is just about getting our hearts right. It's about dedicating and focusing time on the one we profess to love above all else, but who, if we're honest, usually gets the leftovers. It's about focusing our attention and our affection and our thoughts on Jesus Christ. And so I want to encourage you, because I know that we're all busy, and like my wife says, and you've heard me say a whole bunch of times, we make time for what's important in our lives. Maybe you can't come every night, maybe you can't stay for an hour, but come here and take advantage of this time, this season of prayer and fasting, because here's the thing, and I've said this before, the enemy does not care if what keeps you away from the things that spiritually nourish you are sinful or are morally neutral. In other words, the enemy doesn't care if you are drunk in a bar room or if you are watching football as long as you are not connected to the things that nourish you and give you life. Do you understand that? And I don't say that to guilt you. I say that because I love you. I say that so you could recognize that reading the Bible, that prayer, that fellowship with other believers, that worship, that gathering in the name of Jesus, that those things disrupt the enemy's plans. And he doesn't care why you don't show up. All he cares about is that you don't show up. He doesn't care why you don't pray. All he cares about is that you don't pray. And so CFC is not trying to be a place where people just go and get together and go through the motions, do the right thing week after week in the right place week after week, but with the wrong heart. Where Jesus would visit this church and say, is this place a house of prayer? Because that's what Jesus was referencing Isaiah 56, 7 in that scripture in Matthew where the title of the message comes from. Verse 13, it is written, he said to them, my house will be called the house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. Isaiah 56, seven, a house of prayer. We wanna be a house of prayer, so can we commit together church to being a praying church? Prayer is the most powerful and the most underutilized of all of our spiritual disciplines, by far. The most powerful and yet the most underutilized. And there's a lot of reasons for that. You know, there's a lot of reasons we don't pray. There's a lot of reasons we get distracted. 
But prayer in and of itself, the most simple way to say it is prayer is spending time with God. It prepares us to be focused on him rather than ourselves. In prayer, God gives us direction. In prayer, God places people in our hearts. He speaks to us if we listen. Prayer increases our spiritual intimacy with God. And it should be the central activity of our lives if we are followers of Jesus. We've said before, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got to follow him. If you're a follower of Jesus, it means you follow Jesus, not that you ask Jesus to follow you, right? I know when I say prayer, if I were to walk up to you and say, how's your prayer life? You could, you, we could all say, well, it could be better. Well, you know, it could be better. I mean, too often times people don't pray enough. They feel guilty about prayer. They feel ashamed about prayer. They don't know how to pray. They only pray at the last minute. We sort of have those break glass in case of emergency prayers, right? And then the enemy gets in, and then we pray in those times, but then when it's other times to pray, we feel guilty. Well, I don't want to pray. I mean, the only time I ever pray to God is when I'm stuck, when I need something, and that just doesn't seem right, and I'm a hypocrite, so I'm not going to pray regularly. And the enemy goes, good, that's good. Yeah, you just keep thinking like that. Doesn't care why. Doesn't care that, you know, we listen to all that noise in our head instead of the reasons we ought to pray which the Bible makes abundantly clear. A lot of things that keep us from prayer, but it is vital. It is our lifeblood. It is where our relationship deepens. And so I don't want to guilt you. I don't want to make you feel bad. What I want to do is tell you how great and how wonderful our God is. And that prayer is a privilege that it used to be to come before the presence of God once a year at one time, one priest could come at great sacrifice. And now because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we can access, we can come boldly before his throne of grace. We can enter into a relationship with God. See, it always helps me when I look at God and I look at my relationship with him. Sometimes I can get so caught up in, in, in me and in my flaws and in what, you know, and, and God, I have to recognize because I'm a dad, God looks at me and he loves me. He loves me like I love my children and he wants what's best for me. And he wants us to respond with that same kind of faith. That's why Jesus talks a lot about childlike faith. Why? Because what a childlike faith, it's a faith that's dependent. It's a faith that says, you're going to protect me. You're going to take care of me. You're going to guide me. I trust you because you love me. I, I, I want to spend time with you because you are my heavenly father. And you want to spend time with me. Prayer is spending time with our Father. And it's a privilege. So don't miss it. Don't miss opportunities to be people of prayer. So what is prayer? We talk about prayer and fasting. Let's start by defining these things. I read this definition somewhere. It says, prayer is a relationship wherein we humbly communicate, worship, and sincerely seek God's face. Prayer is a relationship whereby we humbly communicate, worship, and sincerely seek God's face, knowing that he hears us, knowing that he loves us, and knowing that he'll respond. I read somewhere, somebody said, God, like any other father, has three answers to his children's questions. Yes, no, and maybe. We'd like yes, 
We're not a fan of no, but we can deal with no. We hate maybe. Or not now. My daughter, my youngest daughter, she's uh, been asking me for something for about a month, and I'm, you know, not now. Wait, maybe. We've got to talk about it. We've got to think about it. Dad, today, do you have an answer today? I don't have an answer yet. She doesn't like that. Just say yes or no. And I say, well, if you ask me right now, the answer is no. All right, no, go ahead. Think about it then. <laughs> That's what we do with God, right? But he hears us. He loves us. And he will respond. Prayer can encompass confession, praise, adoration, supplication, intercession. It's not a mysterious practice that's reserved for clergy and and pastors and super spiritual people. It's the lifeblood of the Christian life. It is essential in the life of a believer. It is simply communicating with God. It's listening to him and it's talking to him. We can pray from the heart freely, spontaneously in our own words. And so if you're here and prayer is a difficult area for you, that's okay. We'll learn and grow together. It can be speaking out loud, talking to God. It can be silent to yourself. It can include journaling. My wife and my oldest daughter journal. It was, it's sort of part of their spiritual disciplines. I've never done that. But in, in both of their lives, I've witnessed when they looked back and found prayer journals that were from years ago. And they read them and, and we saw what we were praying for, what was happening in our lives as a family, what God's done, who we were praying for. And it's so encouraging to look back and be like, yeah, remember that? And so that, for some people, prayer can include journaling. For others, it includes songwriting or poetry. It is communication with God in the most general sense. When it includes listening, it it should include silence and solitude. Dedicated time, just you and him. And so again, there's different ways to pray, and we're going to look more at that when we talk about how to pray. But prayer can be any of those things. You can be alone, you can be in, in, in a group, but one of the things you have to do is pray. The one thing prayer is, is essential for every one of us. Acts 1.14, they all join together constantly in prayer. I would love it if we were at that place, oh yeah, my church is praying, I can't wait to get there, we're going to gather together and we're going to pray why don't we get excited about that? I don't think it's because we don't love God. I think it's because we, we get distracted, then we feel guilty, and it doesn't matter. Again, it doesn't matter what's keeping us. I'm not, don't worry about your neighbor. Don't worry about your spouse. Don't worry about the other people around you. In your heart, you right now, it doesn't matter the reasons in your past. What matters is what are you going to do now? Are you going to be a person of prayer? Pray continuously, Paul says. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Do it all the time. And with this in mind, be alert and keep praying for the saints. Fasting is always assisting in your prayer. You can pray without fasting, but you can't fast without praying. Fasting isn't just not doing something for the sake of not doing it. Fasting is just another way to get your heart and your, and your mind and your body focused on God in your prayer time. And so again, along with the notes, I have, I have a list here. 
10 different types of fasts in the Bible, where it's found, how they fasted, what they were praying for. And then on this list, it says ways to fast, different ways to fast. And so I, I want to explain to you that when we say fast, in the Bible, a fast was always food. Now that's not to say that there are all sorts of distractions in our lives that it would be helpful and beneficial to give up. In other words, in your time of prayer and fasting, it's probably good not to, you know, to give up whatever the things in your life. I don't know what they are, social media, TV, whatever the things that are, you feel like you're taking too much of your time. But I want to encourage you, because I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm going to fast TV, or I'm going to fast this, and, and again, I'm not taking away from that. But in the Bible, there's a reason that every time it mentions fasting, it's talking about food. And the reason is that there is something very powerful that happens when you recognize our need for food physically, you recognize what your body does when you don't have food. It's temporary. It's for a season. We don't suffer to suffer. But to focus your heart every time you get hungry to recognize, I want to focus on the living water and the bread of life. I want to focus my hearts and my prayers and my thoughts on Jesus. And so most people have prayed, even people don't profess belief. Not a lot of people have fasted. And so, again, like a lot of things, that makes people avoid that. And so I'm going to tell you, the first time in my life I ever fasted, I was in Teen Challenge. And I had fasted twice for about, you know, for 24 hours, and I had fasted and prayed. And so I decided... You know, I was in the middle of the program going through some stuff, struggling. I wanted to just really press into my time with the Lord. And I decided I was going to do a three-day fast. And so, you know, I began the process. And the first 48 hours are the hardest. And then sort of that third day, your body, after 48 hours, it just seems to sort of recalibrate. And it doesn't seem as hard after that. So I'm getting to that 48-hour mark. And I'm, I'm starving. And I'm trying to, you know, it's the first time I've done it for this long. And I'm, I'm praying and then, in Teen Challenge, they make my favorite dinner. Because you know how that's how the enemy rolls, right? Steak fries, chicken sandwiches. Oh, I smell it through the whole house. So now I'm like, you know, it's what you do, right? It's like, oh. It's like, then, so then I go from, well, you know what? You're 24, 48 hours, you fasted and prayed. You don't have to feel guilty about it. Just break the fast. That's okay. And then I'm like, but you're just going to break the fast because the meal. So this is all my internal dialogue, right? So I got a call with my wife. Now, I don't know if she ever fasted in her life before this. We've certainly never talked about it. I had never fasted in my life before this. And so I called her up. It was my time for the phone call. And apparently, like, you know, where it says in the Bible, you know, don't have that look on, that, on your face when you're fasting. Don't feel all. Where apparently I was sounding all. She's like, you sound exhausted. And at that, that time, I had already decided I was going to break the fast. So I figured, well, the rules are now, right? It's okay. I can tell her. So I was like, well, I was fasting. You know, I fasted for, for 48 hours. And, but, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm stopping now. And I'm about to eat dinner when we hang up. And, you know. And so she said, well, when did you start fasting? I said, you know, a, a couple days ago. And she said, I'm fasting right now. I was like, what are you talking about? You've never fasted? She's like, I know, you've never fasted? We had both started fasting on the same day. We hadn't talked. 
Hadn't even been part of our spiritual discipline. And it was like the Lord was saying, you are both spiritually, you're one flesh, and you're both going through it. Even though she's, she's there and you're here, you're praying, you're seeking me, you're fasting. And it, it, it united me with, with Jesus. It united me with my wife, and I completed the fast. I looked at those steak fries, and I said, you got no power over me because I got the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Jesus says, when you fast and pray. It means he expected it to be part of your routine. Why? Why do you think he wants us to, to, to discipline ourselves to remove secondary things and focus on the prime, to just for a season do that? Why? Because he knows how distracted we get. He knows how much noise there is. He knows our needs and, and this is a way to live out that Matthew 6.33. Seek first him, his kingdom, his righteousness, the rest of the stuff. Trust him for it. See, prayer, Bible reading, fasting, they all go together. The Holy Spirit in, inspired the writing of scripture. The Holy Spirit indwells us, teaches us to pray, speaks to us as we fast, illuminates the word. It goes together. This is how the Holy Spirit grows us. And when we talk about how to, how to fast and pray, I'm going to touch on this a little bit. But we say, I don't know how to pray. The Bible says, the Spirit intercedes. That means when you're like, I don't even know how to do this, the Spirit of God is interceding for you, recognizing your heart. In prayer, we speak to God. In Scripture, God speaks to us. John MacArthur said this, prayer is the means by which God's infinite wisdom, infinite power, and perfect purpose are brought together to accomplish his will. I'll say that again. Prayer is the means by which God's infinite wisdom, his infinite power, and his perfect purpose are brought together to accomplish his will. You can't be saved without believing. You can't be sanctified without obeying. And you can't enjoy the goodness of God in this life without participating in his unfolding purpose through your prayers and service to him. Can't be walking with Jesus and never talking to Jesus. And so the Bible has a lot to say about prayer. The first mention of prayer is found in Genesis 4.26. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. And then men began to call on the name of the Lord. And so why should we fast and pray? Two words that should be an adequate response to that. Two words alone. Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed. I mean, that should be good enough. That's good enough for me. Should be good enough for you. Jesus prayed. And he's who we're trying to imitate, isn't it? I was at the grocery store yesterday, which I kind of feel like is like a checkmate for my wife now because I've talked about going to the grocery store because I love her and how much I hate being in the grocery store. And now she calls and she's like, oh, can you go to the grocery store for me? And I feel like I'm, it's like checkmate. You know how you tell the church that you go, now I feel, what am I supposed to do? So yesterday, she asked me to go to the grocery store, and now I'm in Dartmouth. I'm like, I'm in Dartmouth? I don't even know what the, how they do it here in Dartmouth. <laughs> She's like, well, there's a stop and shop. You're at Best Buy. Go there. And I'm like, I don't, I've never been in there. Like, oh, my. A grocery store is like an escape room to me. I have number one thing on the list, and I just, I just walk around like 30 times the store to find that one thing. I'm getting off track. I'll just say one more thing. 
She said she wants king Hawaiian rolls. Rolls, they're bread. It's bread. I'm looking in the bread aisle. I'm looking in the English muffin aisle. I'm looking everywhere. I can't find them. I'm like, I don't think they have them. She's like, they have them. You can ask somebody. I'm like, well, I've asked like 30 people questions since I walked in here, but okay. Hey, you guys got the king? Oh, yeah, that's in the deli aisle. Isn't it bread? Yeah, but we put that in the deli aisle. Thank you very much. That's helpful. The sign's really helpful, bread. Okay, anyway, sorry. I'm checking out of the grocery store. This is where I was going with this. I'm checking out of the grocery store, and there's like the 100 most influential people of all time. And there's like Gandhi, you know, and then there's like Jane Goodall and Einstein and Martin Luther King, and then there's Jesus, right? Because that's the way the world sees Jesus as just a great human. He's just a great guy. That's not how we view Jesus. We view Jesus the way Peter views Jesus. You are the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. Jesus wasn't just a great human. He wasn't just a great example. He's alive. And in him we have life. And Jesus prayed. Jesus prayed, church. He's our example. One of the simplest reasons to spend time is prayer is because, in prayer is because the Lord instructed us. And obedience is a natural byproduct of discipleship. We're following him. We're doing what he did. We're living the way he lived. If prayer was necessary for Jesus, considering who he is, how much more is it necessary for us? Prayer wasn't optional in Jesus' life. It wasn't something he did when he had time. Jesus was always obedient to the Father. He, he never, even when the disciples thought he was getting interrupted, he was never interrupted. His, his life was filled, we said. It wasn't hurried. It was busy. It was filled with activity, but it wasn't hurried because in his spirit and his heart, he was prayed up. He was connected to the Father. John 13, 15, Jesus says, I have given you an example. Luke 6 Verse 12, he went out to the mountain to pray and he continued all night in prayer to God. Mark 1.35, a long while before daylight, just in case you're not sure how early that was. That was early. I don't know what a long while is, but if it's before daylight, it's early enough for me. He went out and departed to a solitary place and there he prayed. Luke 5.16 says, So he himself, talking about Jesus, often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. It is what he did as a matter of routine. I got to imagine that he looked forward to recognizing I get to be with my father. See, in prayer, Jesus got power from the father. He spent time in his presence. His will and obedience was aligned to the will of the father. I've heard people ask before if prayer changes things. I believe it does. I believe it does. I know that it changes us. And I know that if you're saved, you are the answer to a prayer, particularly Jesus' prayer in John 17. And I think Jamie's going to talk about that. I'm probably going to touch on it next week. Jesus prays for those who believe and for those who will come to believe. Jesus prayed for you and me. I've heard people ask that question, though. Does prayer change things? And for hundreds, if not thousands of years, theologians have argued, does prayer change the mind of God? Whenever there's something about God we don't know, all we have to do is look at something we do know. So if anyone caught, and it's okay to ask questions. You never have to feel bad for asking questions. You just have to feel bad for demanding answers. 
Because if I question, you know, if I'm, if I'm looking at, well, can I trust God? Well, I don't know if, I, if he's worthy following him. And whenever I'm unsure of his love, I just look at the cross. And that should silence that. That should silence any question I have about whether he wants what's best for me. He paid the ultimate price when he was innocent and I was guilty. I, I, I should tread lightly with my questions. We have authority in our domain, and we can choose to invite God's involvement or not. Ezekiel 22, verse 30. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. John 16, 23. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask in in the name of my Father, he will give you. Until now, you've asked nothing. Ask in my name and your joy may be full. John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, Christ has delegated, delegated a certain amount of authority to us, his body, here on earth. And our decisions as believers, which get expressed in prayer, make a difference in our lives and they make a difference in the lives of others. You see, blessings promised in the Bible, Jeremiah 33, 3, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. Second Chronicles 7, 14, if, it's a conditional phrase, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, seek first his kingdom, repent, turn away. I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will hear their land. Psalm 50, 15. Call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. Just that alone. Somebody needs to hear that. Just that scripture. Call on me in the, t- in the time of trouble, and I will deliver you, and then you will glorify my name. Call on the Lord. He will answer your prayer. Maybe not what you want, but what you need, and then you can testify to his goodness. See, prayer not only changes people, but it changes eternities. I love the story in the Bible of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? I have no doubt my God can save me. In fact, I have no doubt my God will save me, but you know what? Even if he doesn't, even if he doesn't show up the way you think and I think and we wish he would show up, I'm still never going to bow down to any false idols, and I'm still only going to worship the one true God. That's faith regardless of outcome. So let the theologians argue whether God changes his mind. I'm going to look at what Scripture says. And I'm going to focus on what I don't know about prayer, but what I do know. And here's what I do know. Practically speaking, other than the fact that we said Jesus did it and he's our example, this power in prayer. Matthew 26, 41. Keep alert and pray. Otherwise, or if you don't, So this is Jesus saying, look, pay attention, keep alert, pray, and if you don't, temptation will overpower you. Though the spirit spirit is willing enough, the body's weak. It's like Paul, right, in Romans. I keep doing all the stupid stuff I don't want to do. You know the answer to that? Prayer. Prayer. Survey and Discipleship Journal readers, right? They were asked, what's the greatest spiritual challenge in your life? What is the thing that, that 
affects your spiritual health, that distracts you? What, is, what are the main things that keep you away from your relationship with God? And this is what they said, top eight. Number one was materialism. Number one, materialism. Number two is pride and self-centeredness. Four is laziness. You know, honest, honest people. What are the reasons I don't, you know, my pride, I'm lazy, right? Five was a tie. Five was anger and lust. Six, envy. Seven, gluttony. Eight, lying. And they were asked, you know, when do you notice in your life that these things have a bigger, stronger hold, strong, uh, stronghold on you? When, when are you most tempted? And they said when they neglected their time with God. 84% of them. Again, it doesn't matter what caused you to neglect your time with God. Because that's what gives you life. It's what nourishes you. It's what empowers you. And it's what the enemy wants to take from you. They also said that what was the best way to overcome these things or resist temptation? 86% prayer. Prayer. Prayer overwhelmingly was the solution. And so the question is, do we really want to be delivered from the stuff that traps us? You know, I think of the story where Jesus is about to heal the man. He says, do you want to be well? And it seems like a silly question. Of course I do. Well, do you? Or are you so comfortable with your status and your situation, your routine? Are you so in love with that sin? Do you really want to be delivered? Do you really want to be well? Every single sermon I preach, this quote finds its way into the sermon because I think it's such a powerful quote. What Leonard Ravenhill says, a sinning man stops praying and a praying man stops sinning. Because we say, I'm sinning, and I need to stop sinning, I need to stop sinning, I need to stop sinning. And Jesus is going, the spirit's willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you pray, the answer is, I need to stop praying, I need, not, I need to stop sinning, I need to stop, but I need to stop praying, I need to stop praying. And when you pray, when you focus your heart after God, he's going to work in those areas of sin, those strongholds in your life, because you do not have power to set yourself free from sin and death. But he does. Zechariah 13, 9, I will bring that group through the fire and I will make them pure just as gold and silver are refined and purified by fire. And then they will call on my name and I will answer them and I will say, these are my people. And they will say, the Lord is our God. There's something that brings us closer together with God and with one another as we walk through even difficulties and we recognize that he's with us, that he hasn't left us that he recognizes that there's evil and wrong in the world, and the answer to that evil is Jesus Christ. He's the solution. He's the hope. He's the strength. He's not just a great example among hundreds of other influential examples. He is the way and the truth and the life. Paul tells those people at Mars Hill, in him we live and we breathe and we have our being. We exist with Christ as the center. So do we have family and friends that need to know God? Do we have situations we're in right now, we just don't see any answers, we just don't know, and we have to trust God, and we don't want to trust God, and, and, and it's because of our pride. Proud people don't pray. Arrogant people don't pray. Hypocritical people don't pray. Prayer is an exercise in humility. Do we want God to bless this church? Do we want to be a praying church, a house of prayer? Do we want to have an impact in our city? 
See, prayer develops our relationship with God. If we never spoke to our spouse or listened to our, listened to our spouse, if we never communicated, we don't really have a relationship. You can say technically you're married, but you don't have any communication. And so how, do, how are we in a relationship with God if there's no communication? Communicating with God, prayer, helps us grow closer and more intimately connected with him. And any relationship is dependent on communication. No relationship can grow without it. 1 Corinthians 1.9, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. Means God desires your fellowship. Means he wants to have you spend time with him. We said that, we talked about that, this idea of him being a father who just wants to be with his children, who looks at us even when we mess up and still has that unconditional love, feels a sense of pride. Part of, one of my prayers, part of my, my prayer life, one of the things I say most often, I'll say, Lord, give me a heart like Jesus. Help me to see people the way he sees them, not the way I do. And Lord, would you work in me so that you can work through me? That's sort of one of the things I say. And it's because it's so necessary for me. Because it's so easy for me to look and think I see and think I know and see people, you know, physically instead of the spiritual, instead of the heart, instead of the potential that God sees. And I need to recognize that that person's created in the image of God and they're loved by God and they have value. So I need to be reminded of my, that myself. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and dine with him and he with me. There's this idea of abiding. It's the sense of making our home with. We make our home with Jesus. When I leave here, I'm going to go to my in-laws or my house. I don't even know where it is today. And I'm going to put on sweatpants. I'm going to put on comfortable socks. And I'm going to put my feet up because I'm home. I'm relaxed. I'm hanging out now. It doesn't, Right? Jesus wants us to be home, to feel most at ease in his presence. It's relational. Prayer is a privilege. We enjoy being in the presence of those who love us, and we love them. God loves you more than anyone else does. There is no one in your life that loves you more than God. And sometimes we forget that. We forget it for a whole bunch of reasons. Maybe we don't feel worthy of that love. Maybe people have told us we're not worthy of that love. But you're here this morning, and God wants you to know that he loves you more than anyone in your life. And prayer is simply communication with him who gave it all. John 15, 7, if you stay joined to me and my words remain in you, you may ask any request and it will be granted. You're going through stuff. You're feeling weary. You're feeling broken. You're feeling defeated. Prayer builds us up. Isaiah 40, 31, those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Luke twenty two forty six. 46, pray lest you enter into temptation. Prayer is a spiritual exercise. And like any exercise, people tell me, it strengthens you. And so this is spiritual strengthening. And so, according to the Bible, one of the many benefits of prayer is to edify, is to build up yourself. Jude 1.20, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on, most holy, on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Let me explain this to you. Edifying, building up yourself, is not selfish if you do it with others in mind. 
It's, it's, this, it's this example of the oxygen mask on the plane, and the oxygen mask fell, falls down, and people that, you know, have this, you know, I want to help everyone else before me. And so, what's the theory? The idea is, well, the mask come down in the plane, it's an emergency, I'm going to put the mask on everyone else first. Well, at some point, you're not going to be able to do anything, right? So the principle is you take care of yourself first so you can take care of anyone else. So prayer, you edify yourself first so that you can minister. Some people say, I don't want to build myself up. What? The Lord wants to build you up so he can use you. 1 Corinthians 14. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. Uh, verse four, that's for, uh, 14, four. This is 14 and 15. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit says, my spirit prays, sorry, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the result? I will pray in the spirit and I will pray with understanding. It's a way to encourage ourselves. In prayer, we become like him. As we spend more time in prayer in his presence, we're changed into his likeness. 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image. As we walk with him, as we read the word, as we pray, we're becoming more like Jesus. See, the more time you spend around somebody, the more you behave like them, right? You, you can say the same phrases and you can kind of, you become like them, right? You know, you see it teenagers, they have their own little language. And I thought, I was, I've always thought it was cool. My kids tell me I'm not. And I'm like, you just don't know. That's why. You don't recognize? Because you're not as cool as me, probably. But I hear my daughter, she says words like, and I'm like, what, what does that even mean? Dad, you're old. I'm like, I don't, it's just not, just right. But what happens? You hang around with people, your peers, people. You kind of talk the same way. You act the same way. You like the same things. What happens? You hang around with Jesus. You become more like Jesus. We've got to keep God central in our life. Otherwise, we miss his plan. Because the world system, because the noise distorts, right? How much, of, how much information comes into your life in a week? And how much of it is garbage? In the computer world we have, a, especially in coding, you have a garbage in, garbage out principle. It means if your code, if what you put in is garbage, what you get out is garbage. But as a church, we want to put in all kind of garbage, and we think we're going to get out good stuff. If 95% of what feeds us is junk, and we get 5% of his word, how much more critical is that 5%? Paul says, don't be conformed to the world. Don't be just like everybody else. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How does that happen? With his word in his spirit as we pray. Prayer acknowledges dependence, doesn't it? Prayer is saying, I need you to do what I can't do. And that's hard for us, isn't it? John 15, 4, again, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus is going, look, unless you're connected to me, you can't do anything of spiritual value. I mean, you can accomplish stuff in the world, but it's essential to remain connected to him. It acknowledges our dependence. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction. It means we shouldn't do anything without checking with God. We receive instruction from him. We shouldn't say, this is what I've decided to do. Lord, what do you think? Can I get a rubber stamp here? Instead of saying, Lord, I don't even know. And I'm, I'm not going to move unless you give me a direction. Because that's that weight, right? 
Sometimes we understand go, we understand stay, but when he says wait, we're just like, wait for what? Wait, that's what that means. It means not now. I used to have a friend, I love him, hot for ministry, and he was always on fire, and he always had some grand scheme. What are you doing? I'm going to the Middle East. What? Yeah, I'm going to go to the Middle East, minister to prostitutes, God told me. All right. And I just know this guy very close. I'm like, did God tell you to do that right now, though? Just saying. Like, you know, again, great guy, great heart, but always had some grand, it's like, just slow your roll, bro, right? So sometimes it is the desire of our heart. It is what God wants us to do. Maybe it's been in, in, our, in our heart for a long time, but maybe it's not right now. And don't, we've already talked about shortcuts. You don't want to be like, all right, God, well, I, I think I got this, so I'll let you know if I need you. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move forward with the project. And he's like, yeah, that's a bad idea. Prayer is the opposite of doing things by yourself, so prayer is hard on pride. Again, proud people don't pray much. Proud people don't pray much. I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Jamie to come up in the worship team. God can do more in your life in a minute than you can do in a lifetime. And these next few weeks, this season, right now at the altar... You have an opportunity. Prayer and fasting are a way to focus on God and not just on ourselves. Not just on our situation. To see not just what's in front of us, but what God's doing in us. It's a way to live out Matthew 6.33. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and trust him with the rest. Jesus is going, just keep your eyes on me. We do it because Jesus did We do it because Jesus tells us to. We do it because it helps us to be more like Jesus. We do it because it builds us up in Jesus, because it empowers us to minister and live for Jesus, and because it acknowledges, church, our dependence upon Jesus. Don't miss the opportunity to recalibrate your life with the hope found in Jesus Christ.